Well, good evening, everybody. As, as it was just said, I am Jose Martinez, and as you can hear, I, I do a lot of things uh, in my life because uh, I have nothing else to do. Um, but on top of that, I am a father uh, and a husband. Uh, my wife, Erin, is over here who supports me a lot, so I have to recognize her. And uh, I want to thank you for allowing me to be here uh, to talk to you uh, and to have a conversation about microaggression. But before we get started on that, uh, I am a Christian pastor, so I, I want to kind of start off with a, a little prayer, especially after that video that we saw, just to kind of bring us down and, and center us for this conversation. So if you would, please pray with me. Gracious God, we come humbly before you, uh, and we ask for your spirit to be present in this place. We ask that you open up our hearts and minds to, uh, to hear words that need to be spoken, Lord, uh, about uh, injustice, about microaggression. I pray as we are here in our conversation that uh, you bless our conversation and that uh, in the end of it all, that we feel a healing presence from you. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Can everybody hear me okay? Okay. So... Um, I just want to say, we've been having some really good discussions. I want to say, Nick, they've been awesome. Uh, the first conversation with Dr. Howell and Dr. Sims, they were my professors when I went in, was in seminary. Uh, awesome talk about prepping, pre uh, prepping the ground uh, about racism. And then we had Kiku uh, last time talk about what exactly is racism. And so um, I hope I don't suck. So that's what I want to say. I hope I don't suck because they are really good. <laughs> but aside from that, I kind of want to speak about where I am coming from. Okay. First, um, I, have, I must let you know that I am a straight male. I am Latino. I am third generation Mexican American. I'm a grandson to a Chicana activist. I'm a grandson to a Bracero. English is my primary language, and I learned Spanish as a second language. I grew up in the military. I'm a military dependent. My mom was in the military. My, my dad was in the military. Uh, so my formative years were on Air Force bases. I went to schools where I was maybe one of the only Latino or one of like two or three Latinos in the whole school. I grew up in a blended family. My blended family, my step family, is Caucasian. They come from southern Missouri. I am married to a Caucasian woman, and I am raising a bicultural child. Now, the reason why I mention this is that we first have to start off in understanding our social location whenever we're talking about microaggression. All right? So, uh, and the reason being is that uh, there's a term out there that I think we need to get familiar with and identify. Um, and that term is intersectionality. Repeat it after me. Intersectionality. intersectionality. One more time. Intersectionality. All right. So what is it? Yes, ma'am. Intersectionality is what axis you rise socially on um, in identity, whether it's in terms of race, gender, gender nonconformity, uh, sexuality, religion, 
fattiness, um, illness, age, that sort of thing. And it also accounts for uh, any privileges you may have <coughs> and any oppressions you may face. That is outstanding. <laughs> that is really good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is, that is, that is absolutely true. Uh, what she just said, everything that, that she said, and then some. Um, this is not a, a new term, but this term has been coming back in time, uh, uh, coming in common language. Uh, but it's a 30-year-old term uh, that was founded by uh, a person by the name of Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, uh, who's a lawyer. Um, and she needed a term to kind of help her through these cases that she was dealing with, that uh, there was these black women that were um, being marginalized, uh, but yet, since they didn't fit in one category or this other, she had to make something that blended the two together. So, um, so yeah, thank you again for that, that definition. So, Dr. Crenshaw states, intersectionality draws attention to the invisibilities that exist in feminism and anti-racism and class politics so obviously it takes a lot of work to consistently challenge ourselves to be attentive to aspects of power that we don't ourselves experience. So if you remember, part of the racism uh, definition uh, required the word power. Race plus power equals racism, right? So that's the kind of thing that we're, that we're working with whenever we're working with racial microaggression. Now, the concept of microaggression uh, it happens at these points of intersectionality. So everything that, uh, ma'am, what was your name again? Nikenge. Mm -hmm. uh, the All the points that she brought up, uh, the microaggressions happen at those points of intersectionality. intersectionality. So the privilege part, the, 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 the identity that might cause you to be oppressed. Um, so, and I will stand by this statement because of that. 99.9% uh, .9 of us in here has uh, caused, at one point in our life, has done microaggression because it is that sneaky. All right. So what is microaggression? Anybody else want to take a stab at it? Okay. Uh -huh. Is so articulate. Uh -huh. You're introducing like Barack Obama. Yeah. He speaks so well. I hope so. He's a Harvard educated. Yeah. He was on English grammar while he was at Harvard. Yeah. Or Colin Powell, but he was on the Joint Chiefs. I hope he can form some coherent sentences. But yeah. it's this idea of, well, Negro. Oh my God, with the brain. Who that actually works. Uh -huh. I, you know. Right. Yeah, very good. The underlying question is black people are intellectually inferior, black people have more body and mind, black people are not intelligent. So therefore to see evidence of intellectual prowess in a black person is something to be marked upon. Yeah. That's a good yeah, great examples of uh, racial microaggression. Uh, what Dr. Darold Wing Su, who is a professor at Columbia University, the way he s explains it is, it's a brief everyday exchange that send denigrating messages to certain individuals because of their group membership. 
Okay, so microaggression as a whole, we need to look at as a continuum. So uh, we talked about last week. We talked about how racism is intentional. There's no unintentional racism, and so I was kind of like mulling that over, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and one of the things that came up with microaggression that it is usually unconscious. So there is an intentionality of it because microaggression is a tool of the system to keep people in their place. Okay, so there is unconscious microaggression and then there is conscious microaggression. And, um, and it ranges from three forms, three forms of microaggression. The first form is called microassault. Okay, it is a blatant, intentional, discriminatory action or language. Then we have the second one, micro-insult, which is a verbal and nonverbal communications that subtly convey rudeness and insensitivity and demean a person's racial heritage or identity. Then the third one is micro-invalidation, and that is uh, communication verbally or nonverbally that subtly excludes, negates, or nullifies the thoughts and feelings of experiential reality of a person. Okay, so those are the three forms. Now, there are several different types of microaggression. Uh, we've dis been discussing one, and we showed a video of racial microaggression. Can somebody, th well, and, and through the definition, we had the other types. We had gender, we had sexual orientation, we have uh, ability, uh, beliefs or religion, class or socioeconomics, and I would even throw in body image uh, microaggression. So um, it's important to understand um, all these types of microaggressions uh, because we as the church seem to perpetuate some of these uh, issues unintentionally or unconsciously. And if we are able to be aware of it, then we can truly help reconciliation because that's the end goal that we want, correct? I mean, who doesn't want to do reconciliation? <laughs> there are some people out there that don't, but for us here, we want reconciliation. So it, if we can recognize microaggressions and also to see the negative effects that it has on a person, uh, there's been many scientific studies that microaggressions, uh, you know, little by little, uh, build up and hurts the person's physically. And to me, the physical and the spiritual are interconnected. So if you're hurting the person physically, you're hurting them spiritually. And that's where the church can come in. That's our realm, the spiritual realm. So you're saying, Jose, well, okay, where's the scientific proof? Uh, well, if you go on NPR, <laughs> that's where I get my science sources. Uh, <laughs> there's an article on there that was posted on November 11th that talks about this. And so, um, so back to the main thing that we've been talking about, racial microaggressions, which could be in forms of a microassault, microinsult, or microinvalidation. Now, so out of those forms and out of different types, we have different themes of microaggression, uh, racial microaggression. Some have been already brought up. 
So one of them is called Alien in Your Own Land. Okay, so uh, I experienced a lot of microaggression <laughs> a lot of times. And there was a time where I was on uh, Twitter uh, at an emerging chat, if you want to, that's my handle. Um, <laughs> but I was trying to post every day the microaggression of the day that I would come across. Okay, so Alien in Own Land is what I get a lot. And that, you know, a uh, person might say, hey, so, so where are you from? I said, oh, you know, telling my story. I was born in Florida, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Where are you from? <laughs> oh, you're talking about my ethnic background, my, where my grandfather came from probably, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Thinking that I came from Mexico, which, you know, I don't mind, but I'm from the United States. Or the assumption that I speak Spanish from the very get-go. So, uh, you know, people, I love it when people say, hola, and I'll say, oh, como estas? You know, and they're like, oh, I, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> Why are you saying hola to me? <laughs> you know? Or even in the hospital, uh, I work at Truman Medical Center, and I have a mini badge about this big, and underneath it says chaplain across it. And so I'll be going to visiting the different wards and everything else like that. And, you know, I'll start coming up to the nurse's station. And they're like, oh, oh, are you the interpreter? Uh, I'm, the, I'm the chaplain. Actually, the interpreter, she's, she's white. And she speaks better Spanish than me. Uh, yeah. Ascription to intelligence. And we just had the example of Barack Obama, right? So well-spoken, so articulate. Uh, the third one is something that a lot of, I hear a lot of people trying to aspire to, but this is not a good thing. And the third thing is color blindness. It's okay to see color, okay? If you don't recognize the person's color, you don't recognize that person's history or the history of their grandparents or their parents or whatever. When, uh, when I grew up in Sedalia, Missouri uh, for most of my life. Um, and I had a lot of friends there. Uh, I was only the only Latino in our school uh, until 1997 when Tyson Foods came into town. And all of a sudden we had a huge explosion of Latin, the Latino community. And so uh, all of a sudden my friends are like seeing this and you know, with influx of population, there's some problems that occur uh, communally as we're trying to adjust and adapt to one another. And all of a sudden, they started saying words like, those damn Mexicans. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm a Mexican, a Mexican-American. They're like, oh, Jose, we don't, we don't see you, Jose, we don't see you as Mexican, right? The fourth one, criminal status. Uh, so the example, I, 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 pre uh, I spoke about this earlier this morning to my, my church, which caused a lot of good conversation. Uh, but with this criminal status one is, uh, I gave the example of, uh, I was in Pleasant Hill at the Price Chopper over there. And my wife is with me. My wife was going shopping other places in the, in the store. So I'm walking around and all of a sudden I see this lady behind me checking prices on the crackers. And I'm like, okay. So I like walk around and Oh, now she's at the Pepsi aisle checking the prices. All the while, she's still keeping an eye on me. 
And so I walked to my wife over, that, over in the freezer section, and she had to happen to check. She needs to check the prices for the cheese over there, I guess. I'm like, honey, look at this. Watch it. I'm going to walk over here to this aisle. Watch what she does. I walk into the next aisle. Sure enough, she follows me around, thinking that since I'm Latino, obviously, that I must be ready to steal stump something, right? Myth of meritocracy is the sixth one. All right, denial of individual racism, that's the thing. So again, let's, let's, let's uh, go back to my friends and, uh, you know, they, they don't see me as Mexican, but they don't have problems with Mexicans as long as they're legal, right? So uh, denial of individual racism, myth of meritocracy. So um, one of the things I've experienced is, you know, when, to become a chaplain, uh, in the military or, uh, you know, at a hospital, you usually require a lot of training. You, there's this thing called clinical pastoral education, a master's degree, all sorts of things. And, and it's very competitive out there in the hospital world. And so, you know, there's a lot of pastors that have these, you know, these, these, uh, uh, these degrees and stuff like that that can't get it because it's so hard. Well, the first time I applied to Truman, I, I, I really got it. And so I was, uh, I was talking to one of my friends who is a clergy member, he said, well, oh, they must have needed a Latino guy to diversify their, their <laughs> right? So that's, that's one. Pathologi pathologizing cultural values, communication styles, you know, how many times, you know, you, you hear how a, a, a Latino guy is really spicy in their communication, they're so passionate. I get that a lot. You're just, you're just Mexican, you're so spicy. Last week, Wakiku gave the example of, of, of you know, uh, being loud or being black equals being loud. Yes, ma'am. And also the appropriation, misuse, and mocking of African-American vernacular English. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Appropriation is on my list, I promise. <laughs> All right. Second-class citizen. So just being ignored. Uh, environmental. So uh, anybody have gone to the Brookside Barrio? It's a taco joint, a brand-new taco joint. There's nothing barrio about the Brookside. All right? Yeah, so that's just like utilizing one of our words in our culture that, that means something for us, you know? But throwing that out there, ah, you know, this just means neighborhood. No, it means a lot more than that, that you don't understand because you're not part of the community. And then the 10th one is stereotyping. So I get this one a lot because uh, I don't like spicy food, I don't like guacamole, and I don't drink coffee. They're like, you don't like spicy food? Aren't you Mexican? Yeah, that's stereotyping. Even, even, even people in my own culture, uh, I had a boss who, that, that said, give me your Latino card if you don't eat guacamole, <laughs> you know? And so the last one is cultural appropriation. Uh, Cinco de Mayo, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Washington Redskins, headdresses, uh, the, the Halloween costumes. We can see all kinds of different types of cultural appropriation. And, you know, I've given you some of the personal experiences that, I, that I've dealt with. And so what I would like to do now with these, we have about 10 minutes or so, uh, one is to get in groups 
And I want you guys to get in groups that are pretty well mixed. And I want us to hear stories about how either we've done cultural appropriation because, uh, you know, even if you're a minority person like myself, I have, I have privilege in some places. I am, I am male. I am a straight male. That in itself is some sort of position of privilege. Uh, I, I have an education. I, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's different things that, that you can do to microaggress, even though you're part of a different uh, ethnic minority. So one example I can give is, you know, I talked about I don't like spicy food. Well, I was in Seattle in Chinatown, uh, went to a Chinese restaurant, and uh, the, the, the waiter who happened to be uh, Asian uh, said, we have some really spicy food for you. I know you would like this spicy food, you know? Just having this stereotype in there are automatically. So it, it doesn't matter who you are. You can, you can still stereotype in some way. If you're an able-bodied person, you can still uh, microaggress against a person who is uh, not same as you are or people who have mental illnesses. You know, we, we microaggress against people with mental illnesses a lot, right? So I want us to get in groups of 10, maybe. Uh, please diversify your group. Try to anyway. And um, let's, let's talk about how you microaggressed or stories of microaggression that you've heard and then um, ways of you think the church can be a place of healing where we can bring awareness and help people um, see uh, the damage it does and how we can be a place of healing for that. All right, folks, let's, uh, let's kind of bring it in. I want to I wanna respect your time. It's, it's getting there. So let's bring it back in. And uh, so um, I'd like a, a person from each group to kind of share, share something that was impactful for them um, on, on the conversation, either uh, about um, a microaggression or maybe a thought about how the church can be the, the space, uh, not the place, the space, because we, the body, the people are the church, not, not a building, okay? I want us to have that in mind too. Uh, so how we, the church, can be a space for healing and reconciliation. So who wants to go first? I'll pick on somebody. Yes, ma'am. That's very good, yeah. yeah. Who else? Yes, ma'am. In our group, we were talking about um, how people perceive other people because they're different. Uh, this gentleman uh, doesn't hear, he's deaf. Um, myself, uh, because of uh, my complexion and the way I look, I've had to deal with stereotypes from uh, my own people versus more so from my people, black people versus other people. And so having to deal with that, even all the way from, you know, being a young person 
like in elementary school, even up to the age that I am now, you know, I have to still deal with that difference. And um, this, this gentleman uh, is not able to hear. I am not able to hear to a certain degree. There's certain things that I just, I don't hear it. And I do, I try to read people's lips when they're talking. That's why when, I, when someone's speaking to me, I'm looking in their face. And I'm trying to hear, not only with my ears, but I'm trying to read what they're saying. I wear hearing aids, but they are, they're a distraction. It's, it's like your hearing is magnified. You hear everything. And it's an, it's an annoyance. It's like a loud noise. But uh, just dealing with the differences. I think the way the, the, way the church can help is um, just going back to the word of God. We are all God's children. Um, underneath our skin color, we are all, we have muscles, tissue, uh, everything, blood running through us that's red. And we just see people the way God sees them. There's no, you, there, we're all different. We're all unique. We're like masterpieces. There's nobody like us. Even if we had a twin, we're still different. So if we just accept people for their differences, and see beyond those things that we have um, been forced to deal with all of our lives. Segregation, racism, all these different things, you know, the rich, the poor, the middle class, the no class, the educated, the uneducated. You know, if we could get just get beyond that and accept the person for who they are and love them the way God says to love them, the way he loves us, which is unconditional. If we can do that, I think as a church, and even if you're not in the church, and you meet a person that's different, you know, break the ice. Just say, hello, how are you? You know, my name is so-and-so. You know, just find some kind of common thread where you can get that conversation started, and you can learn from that person. Hey, they're not what I thought they were. They're, they're, uh, they're really a new, unique, beautiful person. So it just, it means <coughs> taking time and putting your biased thinking to the side and just seeing that person for who they are through the eyes that God gives you. And that's love. Because mm-hmm. love covers a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. And love people unconditionally the way God loves us. Amen. Yes, ma'am. I feel like this like, space for us to be able to talk about these things is, like, I mean, the biggest step we can take because I think, I think a lot of times, like, prejudice and um, opinions of people different from you come from a space of not being exposed to people different from you and so when we get to come together and have these conversations and hear from different people from ourselves it allows us to be more open and recognize like this is a human being and um, all the things that I ever once thought like when you look someone in the eye just kind of go away so I think having this space to simply talk about it and see each other face to face and listen is amazing. Yeah. Anyone else? Yes, sir. <coughs> I, I'm, I appreciate that. That's fine. <laughs> I appreciate what you said. Um, being here in, in, in the society, there's a lot of barriers uh, that are set because of a variety of different reasons. Um, from everybody, from disabilities to the color of your skin to there's just everything, uh, females, gay, lesbian. uh, And I believe that the way to approach that and get rid of the barriers and get rid of the oppression 
is uh, to get people to be comfortable enough to talk like what you were just saying to get to that comfort level to be able to discuss and get rid of our our emotions and our anger and our insults and all that and just focus on how to be comfortable to have that discussion and have that understanding and be able to move forward in that direction and I appreciate something like this I really do I appreciate this event specifically oh that's great all right anyone else so I hope uh, you know this conversation could go on um, a, a person earns a, earned a master's degree in this subject. I mean, that's how intense it is. And uh, there's people that study it for the rest of their lives. And still, we have uh, a long way to go to learn about uh, uh, systemic racism and then, you know, microaggression, you know, as a, as a whole plethora of things itself. But the only way to learn about it is if you expose yourself to, to people's experiences and to truly understand. So uh, if you have a question to a person of of a different identity. It's okay to ask questions, but be truly authentic in asking the question. That is my only advice for you. All right, thank you very much for having me.